Hello, and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna. And my name is Ellen. In today's episode, we are discussing Book 4, Chapter 2, The Passage of the Marshes, Exploring Sympathy in Community. Well, Anna, we are knee-deep, waist-deep in some cases, in Frodo and Sam's sad walk to Mordor. And Mm -hmm. so as I was reading this chapter, I was thinking about another book that I enjoy where people are sad and out in the woods, and it's The Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about The Hunger Games is that you can, with the right amount of money, send items of need to your tribute. Mm -hmm. And so if you could send an item of need, it would float down from the sky with a parachute to our two heroes here, Frodo and Sam. What would you send them each to get them through this chapter? I think a filled water canteen. And I don't know if Lembus bread comes in different flavors, (laughs) but like a chocolate Lembus bread. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sam is over this one flavor. Right. Like, is there a cinnamon roll option for Lembus bread? I just feel so... Or like peanut butter. I feel so seen by the fact that he's tired of eating exactly the same Mm -hmm. sustenance yes but not enjoyable and for a hobbit that just must really place some lemon juice right in that paper cut that he's just eating the same sort of bland thing for an endless amount of time because they ate so well pre-adventure what would you send them similarly i would send them a water filter Mm mm-hmm so that they can drink some non-marsh water. Yeah. I would send that to Sam because he's the practical one. Mm-hmm. And I think I would send Frodo one of those like knee scooters that you use <laughs> when you've like broken your leg and you're not going to yes. go on crutches. Because mm-hmm. it just seems like he is really losing a lot of ability to move forward Mm -hmm. and maybe he could just kind of propel himself along half-heartedly on the knee scooter but yeah they i mean they could really just use a lot here maybe a hug a hug (laughs) a map and a compass so they wouldn't have to hang out with Gollum. right some beer sam specifically asks for i think a bit of ale yes we really feel for them here They're having a rough go of it. I think qualifying it as a sad walk, perhaps even a trudge, is both accurate and also just deeply demoralizing. It is. Well, I feel like we're having a lot of sympathy for these two very sympathetic characters. And so I want to hear what story you've brought to today's episode to discuss sympathy and discuss what it looks like in community. Well, today I thought we could do a couple of shallow dives into stories where I think we get some nuance as to what sympathy looks like and perhaps the distinction between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is really feelings of like pity or sorrow for someone else's misfortune or perhaps a common feeling between two individuals, like being sympathetic to someone's cause. So in that vein, there was a time in a previous position that I was working a lot. It felt like working had become my whole identity. 
And I was really frustrated at the workload and really didn't feel supported by many of my peers nor my supervisor. And at around that time, there was a lot changing. There was a lot of instability in who my peers even were, um, in the direction that we were headed as, uh, as a unit. And as a part of that change, there was some changeover in who worked in the office, which was a positive thing. And so this new addition to the team was someone who had worked elsewhere in the organization and who was older than I was, so sort of became this like mentor and peer at the same time and really really became a light a bit throughout all of this otherwise murky and unhappiness. There was a moment at which I was outlining some concerns that I had, and in that moment was asking for, implicitly was asking for some support, some brainstorming about what else I could try. And instead, what I received was this comment, quote, I feel sorry for you. I'm sure it was well-intentioned, and I'm sure it was because, in part, I had described a situation that I had really thought through and had identified as many alternatives, as many resources as I possibly could, and already tried those avenues before I brought this concern to, to my peer. But the impact was that I felt like this person was distancing themselves from the situation. I really didn't feel heard. I didn't feel like that was a solution or, in fact, at all what I was looking for in expressing this concern, nor was it really a show of solidarity that, like, yes, that sucks, and also I'm here with you to help you through this, even though that had been absolutely a sentiment expressed in previous situations. And it stood out to me because I just became so defensive in this moment that even now, you know, years afterwards. I can remember this moment so clearly. And so for me, when you think about sympathy as like feelings of pity or sorrow, right, I think this is one expression of that where it's like, you are broken, you are pitiable, and I feel sorry for you, but I also cannot relate and I cannot affirm your experiences beyond my own pity. The next story is also in a work context. I'm working as a student employee, and I'm relatively new to this position, and was coming to the end of the spring semester, was looking at summer employment, and I remember having this conversation with dad about his expectations about what I was going to do during the summer, and it included working at least one job, if not two jobs, and I remember feeling a bit overwhelmed at that prospect for a number of reasons, but at the point that I was in this situation was like, I don't know where I'm supposed to get these jobs. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to balance out with my schedule like this. So I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. And I was having this conversation kind of casually, but also because I have a bit of an anxious mind, things that worry me, I tend to manifest in conversation and then like talk at length about. <laughs> and so I was probably talking about it at length with one of my older coworkers in the hopes that they would like maybe have some advice. Or again, I was looking for a direction. And later, I was pulled into the office of my then-supervisor, and this person said to me, Anna, I heard that you were a little bit concerned about needing to work over the summer, and I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, what options you have and how we can kind of strategize to make that make sense for you. And I felt so affirmed that I was not 
totally off base for having some concerns about how I was going to balance this schedule and that this adult was really looking out for me in a way that in a way that I felt very seen. And so in that space, I'm really qualifying that as a more empathetic response, right? So it's not I'm distancing myself from your situation, but instead I see you, I hear your concerns, let's work together to figure this out, or let me not explain away your concerns as something that isn't valuable or isn't valid. So those are the two sort of nuances that I see through the chapter that we can talk a little bit more about as we get into the events. I feel like your two stories, it's the first one is that's a you problem. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is taking on that that's our problem to solve together. Right. And I, I love that because it shows how when you have the support of a community around you, that the, the things that seem insurmountable become much less so. And that there's like a greater well of empathy to draw on than when it's just you. Right. Than when it's just, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> like, but do you? <laughs> sorry, I just threw up all over myself. It's fine. Such a classic moment. And like, I will say at this point, that conversation has been five years since I've had that. And that just like really... <laughs> When we started talking about sympathy, I was like, I remember a time when mm-hmm. <laughs> someone really did try and missed the mark entirely. Right. And I feel like sympathy is different from pity. Right. And when I, I I have received pity at times when I and I just have found that to be very unhelpful and like there is agency taken away and that you feel more on your own with the problem. But when you have sympathy or, or empathy, it's like, no, I'm, I'm shouldering this with you instead of just like, oh, I just feel bad for you. Right. But I think in good faith, when someone comes to you with a problem and says, here are my challenges, here's what I'm working through, like that is a level of vulnerability and a level of trust that they're displaying for the person that they're coming to, in this case, you, about a question. And so it feels to me really important to treat that with some care and consideration, even if the problem may seem trivial to us, mm-hmm. because that's an opportunity to serve that person and to build some community together instead of dismissing or turning it back on the individual as entirely their problem. I think the core of sympathy versus empathy or that feeling of being pitied versus receiving sympathy is one that we're going to see throughout the chapter. Before we can do that, we do have to understand what even happened in the chapter. So Mm -hmm. Ellen, can you give us a rundown of today's events? I can, and it will be brief because not a lot happened. Mm -hmm. So they, they being Sam and Frodo, they set off with Gollum. And Gollum is in really good spirits. He is happy. He's like clicking his fingers and cackling to himself and singing songs about fishes. Sam is very wary of this change in Gollum's demeanor. And he confides this in Frodo, who for whatever reason just kind of doesn't address it. And so Gollum leads Sam and Frodo across this foul, rotting, smelly land called the Dead Marshes, which literally 
have dead orcs, elves, men in the water from an old battle. And they're somehow preserved there either by magic or whatever, the evil of Mordor. We're not sure. But they're there. They're looking up at you and they light little lights to try to lure you in. So throughout this slog, this trudge, the ring wraiths fly over them three times. They're on the Nazgul. And after the first time they fly over, Gollum's good cheer disappears. And he returns more to his old ways of talking about himself in the third person. There's a green glint in his eye. After the second time the ring wraith flies over, Sam overhears Gollum talking about taking the ring from Frodo by force. This is when Gollum thinks that they're both asleep and he has an out loud conversation with himself about how he wants to be the Lord of the Ring, King Gollum, Gollum the Great, and basically kill... Sam, I don't know what he's going to do with Frodo, and take the ring. After the third time the ring wraiths fly over, Gollum refuses to take them any further, and Frodo has to physically threaten him with his sword to get them to move on, which he does, and they exit the dead marshes. The chapter ends with them almost at the gate to Mordor, and just the smell of rotting water surrounding them. So... I'd like to admit something to you because we were outwardly pretty skeptical about book four, mostly because it is just a sad, slow walk Mm -hmm. and a lot of conversation and a lot of kind of nuance and dynamic among this trio for a bit. But I really liked this chapter. That's great. There was a lot more here than I thought there was going to be. Right. Um, And I do think we get some very interesting both world building. We get some interesting writing from Tolkien. And I think we get some interesting character development in both Sam, Frodo, and maybe even a little bit of Smeagol that I think... I had not remembered correctly from previous reading. So mm-hmm. this is actually kind of a, an interesting reread for me. I agree. I think this last book of The Two Towers is better than I remember because I it's much better than the movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more room in here for things to be interesting and you're still invested in the adventure even if the surroundings that the heroes find themselves in are just much gloomier and less fantastical than we've been in thus far. Agreed. So now that we've outlined that this chapter smells like trash but isn't trash, Mm. how about you walk us through the examples that you found within? Sure. Okay, so first example on my page 253 sam is considering Gollum, and he says quote not too well thought sam he looks fair famished not too dainty to try what hobbit tastes like if there ain't no fish i'll wager supposing as he could catch us napping well he won't not sam gamgee for one so i think in this i'm thinking much more on that sort of pity track Mm -hmm. for sympathy where he is recognizing that Gollum has like maybe been through some stuff and that he does look like he's probably just like skin and bones and yet sam is still like leery wary that doesn't transition his heart or mind about smeagol no it does not 
In fact, it kind of moves him in the other direction. Right. Where he's like, this this guy is really hungry, so hungry, he could probably eat us. Right. If he caught us napping. So we then transition into my next example, next page, 254, and Frodo is much more on that empathy track, right? Where he says to Smeagol, quote, we must take a little food, said Frodo. Are you hungry, Smeagol? We have very little to share, but we will spare you what we can. And so, again, he's sort of offering from their meager reserves to provide sustenance, which we know from way back in our, you know, first season that sharing food with someone is a way to build community. And so Frodo is kind of extending an olive branch, so to say, and again, doing it from pretty limited resources. So this feels much more empathetic than sort of Sam's stance on Smeagol. Yeah, we we got to give some credit to Frodo here for thinking of, of others, especially since Sam brought up in the prior chapter that he doesn't think they have enough food as is without feeding a third mouth. Right. And going further... Frodo, after he offers the Lembus, Gollum does take a bit of it, doesn't enjoy it. Something about the elves and Gollum just, like, do not mix. And Frodo says, and Smeagol sort of says, sadly, poor thin Smeagol. And Frodo says, quote, I'm sorry, said Frodo, but I can't help you, I'm afraid. I think this food would do you good if you would try, but perhaps you can't even try. Not yet, anyway. And in particular, I think that yet is really important to me. So I think Frodo is really anticipating there's going to be some sort of, like, change. Mm -hmm. That he's willing to say, you can't do it now, but perhaps in this conceivable future time, you might. Which I think also shows Frodo is thinking about Smeagol in more than just this instant. And Mm -hmm. more than just his convenience to the mission. At least from this one quote. Right. But we find, and I hadn't quite remembered this, which is why I wanted to bring it up in my recap, that Smeagol devolves as they get closer to Mordor. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered if Frodo's hope of rehabilitating Gollum into Smeagol just can't be accomplished when they're this close to a land of evil magic and maybe would have been better attempted someplace like the Shire. Well, and I think, too, Frodo, well-intentioned as he is, has perhaps underestimated the amount of trauma Mm -hmm. that Gollum has undergone and that Frodo really has never experienced. And so I think it's also a little naive to assume that in some proximity to kindness, Smeagol can make an about-face given he's lived however long until this point. Thousands of years? Nobody knows. Somebody knows. Nobody knows. knows. Don't tell us. (laughs) Don't don't email us. Don't add us. But for the purposes of this story, no one knows. And he he cannot undo all of that, right? As kind as he can be in these moments. And so I do think there's a little bit of responsibility for Frodo to be like, yes, be kind in this moment, but also acknowledge that there are bigger there are bigger traumas at play that simply being kind cannot resolve, right? Like, he needs a really good therapist. He needs, like, talk space 
for Gollum where he can text his therapist wherever he is in his cave and talk about what's going on that day because that's the level of care and attention that he needs. I think Frodo is not being realistic either. And I'm glad that we have Sam throughout this being a little bit more pragmatic. That the mm-hmm. thing, and he has that realization, I don't know if you're if you're going to mention it, it's not really a moment of sympathy, when Gollum Smeagol are having their conversation about what to do, and Sam realizes that the danger is in the ring. Mm-hmm. And it's not in Gollum being hungry or being mean or evil. It's in the ring itself. And mm-hmm. Frodo not acknowledging that seems maybe short-sighted or a little bit like wishful thinking. And he doesn't want to think about how powerful this thing is that's literally hanging around his neck. Right. It, it is, I think, an interesting argument to make as well. Like, does that protect him a bit? Because he doesn't he never really fully acknowledges, maybe until very close to the end, the full power of what he holds. Right. And so that preserves him from a little bit of, or, or, or helps him sustain maybe a bit of himself throughout this entire journey. Or does that put him at risk? Or perhaps both. I don't suppose it has to be one or the other. But I do think there's also a possibility, right, that the ring keeps itself from being seen too much as a villain until you're, like, too far in. It is not in the ring's best interest for you to outright know that this is really dangerous without a little bit of, like, a a lustful tinge to Mm -hmm. that danger. And if the ring presents itself as such, I do think that keeps Frodo as well from making a really accurate assessment about what he carries with him. I'm thinking of the Sorcerer's Stone and how mm-hmm. those who wanted to possess it but not use it are those who are able to properly find and master the stone. Right. And Frodo seems to be falling into that that camp to me. If he just wants to carry it around for a little bit mm-hmm. and not use it. And not even really does he want to carry it around. No. Like, <laughs> he just kind of got thrust into this role and no one really told him much about it and he's just like in it now and it's too late to change your mind right and now he's in this very bleak landscape going like hmm all right <laughs> this isn't great not my favorite <laughs> this isn't great not i don't like it um but also it can't be over because now i'm too far in to turn around So a quick sort of pitiable quote we have on 256, Sam, again about Gollum, saying uh, Gollum is gone from the camp when Sam wakes up or sort of comes to and he's looking around for him and he says, quote, poor wretch, he said half remorsefully. Now I wonder where he's got to. So again, he's just always kind of in that. He's so sad. (laughs) He's just he's just this pitiable character and sam can recognize him for that but probably not much more and again trying to keep him at arm's length because he's such a threat whereas on the next page 257 we have this really sort of heartfelt but also very emotionally charged moment between sam and frodo where they're talking about their reserves and there's sort of this acknowledgement from frodo that they probably don't need to pack for a return trip Mm -hmm. and it's really the first time that that's come into conversation between these two characters and sam nods silently to this idea 
and then, quote, he took his master's hand and bent over it. He did not kiss it, though his tears fell on it. So there seems to be this kind of unspoken understanding that they're shoulder to shoulder on this journey together, literally ride or die, and that there's a very ominous and eminent threat to both of them mm-hmm. that we're still sort of reckoning with in this moment. Okay, then on page 262, more of a more of a Smeagol moment. He is moving them through the marshes. Smeagol. And he he is before the moment of sort of turning with the first overhead threat of the Nazgul, the ring race, etc. So he's trying to kind of motivate the the hobbits through the marshes. And he says, quote, now on we go, he said, nice hobbits, brave hobbits. Very, very weary, of course, so are we, my precious, all of us. But we must take Master away from the wicked lights. Yes, yes, we must. <laughs> and it is it is a kind of an interesting quote because he makes this, like, we statement about, yeah, yep, we're tired. We've got to keep going. And it places him in conversation a bit more with Sam and Frodo than previously, where he's very much been an outsider and very much... As Sam is wary of him, so Smeagol is wary of these two who hold the ring, when, of course, that's his, like, you know, object of desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I had read that as he's talking about himself and Gollum, like mm. his two selves, but he does say all of us, and that that last bit does make me think that he is including sam and frodo as like yes all four of us are tired right right we are just doing our very best me and the two of you we are all four very tired (laughs) right both halves of myself the ring and the two of you where some of us are tired and then really sort of the last moment here that i really felt like displays again much more empathy from sam is a little bit 264 onto page 265. Frodo, as you mentioned in your recap, is really struggling to keep up with the group. He's quite tired. He seems almost delirious. Who wouldn't be? He's probably got the worst jet lag of his life. And Sam is begging Gollum to wait and to not leave their master behind. So he's really attending to Frodo keeping with the group. On page 265, it says, quote, He put Frodo in front of him now and kept a watchful eye on every movement of his, supporting him if he stumbled and trying to encourage him with clumsy words. I I liked this quote in particular for two reasons. One, I think he's literally and figuratively putting Frodo in front of his own needs. So he's attending to him in a way that really no one else is, and the journey cannot happen without that sacrifice from Sam. And so I think that's a huge act of love, a huge act of empathy And then I also think that the use of the phrase clumsy words is Mm, a nice mm -hmm. play because it's both kind of a physically perilous moment where you are just clumsy in, you know, walking through mud and trudging and whatever else, but also that in moments where you're reckoning with your own, like, mortality as they are on their way to Mordor, that there are so few words you can say and have them feel genuine or earnest And so how can you console someone when they get up again to walk towards their death? And all of that must feel very clumsy and very foreign to Sam's mouth. And so I just, I liked that writing as well. And I think a lot of Sam's words are clumsy. 
in a way that they feel earnest and unpracticed. Mm -hmm. And so that phrase, clumsy words, illustrates, I think, what Sam is like as a a person. That he's well-meaning, but he doesn't always have the most eloquent way of saying things, even if he does tend to get there in the end because his heart's in the right place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, to address your comment about these marshes, I was thinking about when my partner and I went to Ireland and they talked about the bogs of mm-hmm. Ireland and um, Scotland as well and how they had so perfectly preserved these like skeletons of like Paleolithic era folk. Mm-hmm. If, if that's not the right era, please also don't add us about that. Um, <laughs> we but, don't like, care. Very old, <laughs> very legit skeletons. Mm-hmm. And there's something about like the chemistry of the bogs that helped preserve them. And that's kind of how I'm imagining these marshes is that there's like, there's more to them than just being ponds of stagnant water, although they are that as mm-hmm. well. And I wanted to bring that up because a lot of my talking with Tolkien has to do with the descriptions of the landscape because oh, I really, really reveled in the bleak <laughs> descriptions <laughs> of these sad marshes and otherwise not very green rocky cliffs, apparently. Did you have a uh, talking with Tolkien quotes as well? I had one and it is on page 254. And it's a little nauseating, so let's buckle up. Gird your stomach. (laughs) Yes. This is Gollum speaking about how famished he is. Really, they are, because Gollum is a two-person person. person. Mm -hmm. Side note, love that Tolkien uses the extra S and famished to really draw out how Gollum is saying it. But at the Mm -hmm, end of mm -hmm. Gollum saying how hungry they are, it's described that, quote, his tongue lolled out between his sharp yellow teeth, licking his colorless lips. Ugh. Ugh, I know. I just thought that was so descriptive and gross. And I could picture his like tongue being a little bit too long and his pointy teeth. And he's like slobbering over this mm-hmm. food. And then to tie it all together i saw today the winner of the 2022 ugliest dog contest and (laughs) i thought that he maybe had a little bit of that in him as well his name is mr happy face (laughs) sure he's a 17 year old chihuahua mix oh no his tongue is always out and um (laughs) It just gave, it, it all it all came together, and so that that particular line really sparkled oh. up at me. <laughs> Mr. Happy Face. Yeah, we'll we'll put a picture of him on, on our on our social media so everyone can see Mr. Happy Face. <laughs> okay, what what talking with Tolkien did you did you have for us? Uh, my quotes are also quite grim. So, but so well, was there chapter. weren't a lot of good ones to, <laughs> to yeah. pick from. So the first is on page two fifty nine. And it's describing how uh, just absolutely bleak and dreary the landscape is. Quote, The only green was the scum of livid weed on the dark, greasy surfaces of the sullen waters. 
Dead grasses and rotting reeds loomed up in the mist like ragged shadows of long-forgotten summers. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> <sighs> and they went hiking in this place for like a week. For like a long freaking time. Yeah. Then, just as bad. <laughs> on, the ne- on the next quote that I have. At this point... They've moved out of the marshes, and I think now they're a bit like Marsh Girl and are like, what a great place that was. (laughs) That was great. We (laughs) loved it there. There were things that at least grew there, Mm -hmm. because now Mm -hmm. we're in this other abysmal place, and somehow it's worse. Let's read. Quote, here nothing lived, not even the leprous growths that feed on rottenness. The gasping pools were choked with ash and crawling muds, sickly white and gray, as if the mountains had vomited the filth of their entrails upon the lands about. Jeepers. (laughs) How do you even think of that? So good. It's so good. And what makes me nervous for our author, bless him, he's been dead for a long time, is that he probably saw something like this, right, in the Great War, Mm, right? mm -hmm. So, like, in the early 1900s, mid-1900s, what I'm thinking about is him off in battle and, like, these being descriptions of places that he's seen or these are the memories he's drawing upon to write it, and that just gave me such creepy crawlies on my skin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because that is such a... If that's the environment you're in, that is such a dark place to be. And then to have, like, war about you feels just worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. There is there is darkness that's drawn upon to make the, the enemy and the evil and the evil lands feel perilous. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a great Talking with Tolkien segment. I feel like we could make this a Halloween-themed episode. Uh, Because we got a little spooky there. Very spooky. spooky. (laughs) But it's time for our last segment, our action item. And this is the part of the podcast where we share an action item that we can all do to strengthen our community tied in with the theme. So what action item did you bring for me today? So my action item is this. Convert your sympathy to empathy. Think about how you can shift your feelings of sort of maybe that more removed pity, that that self-centered response that we often have, that lizard brain calls for us to do, and instead to center the person um, in their story, to believe their story, and to really see a path for you to assist, to listen, and to be present with what's being presented to you when you're in community. That's a that's a good action item, and I like any time we remember we have a lizard brain and that we don't need to judge ourselves on our first thought, but maybe our second thought, and that we can we can think and act beyond that original knee jerk reaction. It takes some practice. Um, it takes and, a lot of work, and it's definitely not easier if you don't start. So just know that like Ellen and I are in the same boat. It takes us some time, and we don't always get it right, but. I think it's it's key to be vulnerable in the moments when you get it wrong. And hopefully the empathy that you've exampled for folks will then be shared back with you 
as you hold each other accountable. And I think that's what it means to be in community. Great. Well, thank you for that action item and for such a wonderful discussion. I had a great time. This is a good one. This is a good one. Even a bleak chapter like this produces such good conversation. Bleak. Today's podcast was brought to you by Samwise Canine Bubble Bath. Good enough to get the stink of the dead marshes off your pup. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in fellowship. Did you see the picture I texted you of Mr. Happy Face? Oh. Oh no. <laughs> uh, and this is the part of the podcast where Larry comes out and sings a silly song. Um, <laughs> that just that just popped into my head. <laughs> Yay! Oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that in so long. <laughs>